0: Yo, this is a story all about how a woman named Eunice figured it out. Coming up in this episode of.
1: Listen Listen to to Your Mother
2: Earth History. Yeah, we're going to talk about Eunice, a super cool female climate scientist, well before her time, and then talk about the super sexy background of climate policy across the world.
0: Mm. Plus, an easy thing you can do to help the Earth.
2: I'm Ellen, I'm a meteorologist. I'm Emily, I'm an environmental scientist. I'm Teresa,
0: and I'm a journalist, and this is Listen Listen to to Your your mother, Mother Earth. We hear all about climate change right now and we think it's kind of like this new problem, but Eunice figured out how to measure a lot of the things that we look at for climate change in the 1800s, the early 1800s. And
2: obviously we've made a ton of scientific discovery since then, but it goes back to when scientists were researching the gases that make up the Earth's atmosphere and how lowering or raising the concentration of those gases in our atmosphere could influence uh, global temperature. So people were onto things early and then we just started kind of honing in on that scientific argument.
0: We were still using horses, but they
1: That's could figure crazy. this out. I just am amazed at it. I love it. I yeah. feel like for all those people that thought like, well, it's just a, it's just like coming up nowadays, it's a big conspiracy. It's like, no, actually, if we step back like Emily's yeah. going to for us, yeah, you can see it in the books.
2: Absolutely. So just wanted to start out with a shout out to a very special lady who we were just mentioning, but her name is Eunice Newton Foote awesome name to start out. She was a natural philosopher, which is basically what they called scientists um, back in the day. And she was also a women's rights advocate. So she was well before her time. Thank you for your service, Eunice (laughs) Newton. Yes.
0: Votes for women. (laughs) Ellen has never seen Mary Poppins. No.
2: I haven't. So we did say on Friday that that was your assignment.
1: Yeah. I haven't.
2: Not to be the teacher who's like, Where's your
1: homework? Listen, there was no due date. That's (laughs) true. That's true. Dang, she got me. I gotcha. I gotcha.
0: Women's stuffy time. What's all this? What's all this? You will know what she's singing if you watch Mary Poppins.
2: (laughs) It's so good. Votes for Eunice, anyway. Votes for Eunice. So, yeah, Eunice was one of the first to conduct um, experiments on how different gases interact with the sun's rays, uh, specifically carbon dioxide. She wrote this great paper it was presented at a scientific conference in the 1860s uh, and it was read by a man
1: because they didn't want her to read her work at this conference which like to put it in context makes total sense mm-hmm. because they were like not big on women <laughs> exactly but not, like not it's for science so, anyway oh my, not <laughs> for science <laughs> maybe for some other things but so but fair. like how humiliating I know. in our day and age too like yes. just gosh It's bananas, but anyway, she
2: was just conducting those early experiments made a lot of great discoveries there's a man named John Tyndall who came around a few years later and did similar research and you know also made great discoveries so i don't want to diminish what he did by any means but he has schools named after him and um, you know there was miss Eunice Newton Foot just a few years before who was doing the same kind of thing and kind of gets swept under the rug yeah. so shout out to the ladies yes go eunice her work
0: yeah is she related to Newton Isaac Newton i think there is a distance Relation. She figures out how to measure some of these things. Yeah. And, and then,
2: then, then what happens? A few and years <laughs> later. So this is um, in the late 1800s. And I just thought this point was funny. There's a guy named Svante Arginius who came around. First Great of all. name. Great name.
0: Svante Arginius.
2: Yes, that's a good one. And he was investigating what varying amounts of CO2 would do um, to global temperatures. But I just thought this was interesting because he was from Scandinavia. And so he lived in obviously a very cold climate. And he has a paper that he put out and there's a quote in it that's like, if we increase CO2, we're going to have years of better climate. And basically like, (laughs) things might be a little bit better because he lived in a very cold place.
0: Forget the global view. (laughs)
2: Yes, he didn't, you know, there wasn't full understanding on all the impacts that could take place if global temperatures were raised. But for him, he was like, Nice. He <laughs> might not, he be might not feel that if it. he
0: was alive today. Yes, right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. There was
2: just that one quote in that one paper. Where if you're said, interested a climate.
0: in hearing about why that's not a good thing, We'll refer you back to episodes one and two. Uh,
2: So that was the late 1800s. And then by the 1950s, this was kind of gaining more traction. And Time magazine actually published an article titled One Big Greenhouse. And that was about the greenhouse effect and how burning fossil fuels, um, basically what it would do to our planet. But the director of the Scripps Institute of Oceanography was quoted in that article. And he said that, Fossil fuels, burning them, could have a, quote, violent effect on Earth's climate in the future. So we're kind of starting to realize that this might not be so good. Um, But even at that point, they were kind of thinking, let's watch, let's monitor. We don't need to act right now. But yeah, this could become a problem later.
1: Interesting, too, is it was like a Time magazine publication. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just like a report that got slid into the White House and like some officials saw it. Like this was released to the public. Yes, interesting yeah so at that point you know the public
2: starting to get involved um we knew this was something to watch but at that time we still really didn't have a great way to actually monitor atmospheric co2 so you could do lab tests you know and pump co2 in a mason jar i'm sure they had more scientific lab <laughs> nope. tests than that but you know you can monitor it in a lab setting but right. actual atmospheric co2 there wasn't a great way to me- measure it so at that point, this man named Charles David Keeling came in the picture. Um, he started taking measurements. That gave us a reliable way to track how CO2 was changing with time. And now we know of something In called, the atmosphere? Yes, okay. in the atmosphere. Um, so now we have something called the Keeling curve, and that shows how CO2 has increased since he started taking measurements. Um, by the late, late 1980s, we also had data from ice cores. So when you combine that with the Keeling curve, you have a more recent CO2 history, and then a much less recent CO2 history. And that gave us kind of the full picture of how, how those CO2 levels had risen since the start of the Industrial Revolution.
0: And the Keeling curve, mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know what that is. Is that something most scientists would know? But should the, should I know that?
2: And Ellen and I know yeah. because we've studied atmospheric science. And I'm sure you have seen it. Just mm-hmm. as someone who has any sort of interest in climate science, mm-hmm. you've probably come across it and not not realize that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. 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 Okay. But basically when you see a graph of how CO2 has changed with time. That's from this guy. And by the late 1980s, um, a man named James Hansen came around. He was a NASA scientist, and he testified before mm, that, Congress.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's exactly I what I was thinking, do I, too. Do it all. To. And I was like, it had to be in the 90s. Like, it was like... <laughs> the Hansen brothers? The decade of oh, the Hansens. Yeah. I
2: knew the song, but I wasn't getting the Hansen connection. Oh, mm.
1: that's... Maybe you,
2: he was also just part of a band in his... Time when he wasn't working at NASA. I just
1: think it was a good decade for the Hansons. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) We love you, James (laughs) Hanson. He testified before Congress, and he said he was 99% sure uh, that the observed warming trend was not natural, and it was caused by humans releasing CO2 into the atmosphere.
1: So this is what I really love, like even just listening to these stepping stones of science, is that they're all pointing in the same direction. Mm -hmm. So we're having new decades, new technology, rapidly developing technology, and it just keeps building on this hypothesis that's like, hey, CO2 might be an issue here. Oh, it is an issue here oh, no, it could be a big issue here. And everyone except for those in Sweden are (laughs) against it. I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) We have all this great information. Did anybody take it and go, okay, here's what we need to do with it? Or is it just here. Here's a publication. Yeah,
2: it takes time. I mean, I think we have all learned that governments unfortunately don't, well, maybe fortunately too. You can't just make laws like that. You have to uh, sit and think and uh, take your time. So it has taken time. But all the way back in 1972, actually, the United Nations Scientific Conference took place in Sweden. And that was the first time that the issue of climate change had been raised to an international audience. And they adopted a declaration telling governments to be aware of any activities that could contribute to climate change. So it wasn't a law or anything, but it was just saying, maybe start to pay attention to this. By 1988, the World Meteorological Organization and the United Nations Environment Program formed, your favorite, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. You're down with
1: IPCC? (laughs) Yeah, you know me.
2: It's so catchy. It It is. is. They want to hire us to like do their PR. They might need to because I
0: didn't know what it was before we started talking about it.
2: Well, they are tasked with very important work. They have to discover and communicate our knowledge of climate change, um, talk about how climate change impacts society and the economy, how we could potentially respond to climate change. So they release reports. They kind of give us the science. They were formed in 1988 and their first report was released in 1990. So again, that's available to the general public, and that was one of the first times that people could delve into it themselves and say, what the heck is going on here? So the IPCC came around, and then in 1994, the first actual international treaty came to be, and that is the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or (laughs) just because it's a little bit of a mouthful, we can also call it. The UNFCCC, which, which is, is only slightly less of a mouthful, yeah, type, I love you it know, a though. little bit. Yeah,
0: UNFCCC, correct. CCC, yeah.
2: three C's. See C-C what
1: they could. CCC, <laughs> exactly.
2: The UN went to. Wait, wait. So that was the first international agreement to address climate change. Um, and basically, in this country, has agreed to stabilize atmospheric concentrations of greenhouse gases, and that was to prevent anthropogenic climate change, which means human caused.
0: Anthropogenic.
2: Yeah. Anthropogenic. Means human caused. Yes. So, like
0: that fancy store is just called humans, essentially. Anthropology. Oh, anthropology. Yeah. <laughs> no. or is it the study of humans? I think it's the study. I think of it's humans. a study, but so, still helpful. If like to study humans and spend a lot of money. Yeah.
2: Man, they have good smelling candles. They there. do. Cute throw pillows, dishes.
1: Got a lot of good stuff for humans.
2: (laughs) The countries who are part of the UNFCCC are known as parties, and the Conference of Parties meets every year to assess their progress. So if you've heard of COP21 or those yearly conferences that take place, that stands for Conference of Parties, and that refers to the countries that are part of this treaty. A good way, um, you know, I think we hear COP21 or whatever COP they're on all the time, and you don't really know what that means, but it's basically just those countries involved.
1: Not law enforcement officers. All I think of is the TV show (laughs) cops.
2: They're all just (laughs)
1: descending upon a country. (laughs) Uh,
2: So it gets a little technical here, but parties in the UNFCCC are categorized as Annex 1, Annex 2. And developing countries. It just refers to industrialized countries and economies in transition for Annex One, and then Annex Two is developed countries which have to pay for the costs of developing
1: countries. Does this just like help to almost put more responsibility on the developed countries by yes. segmenting it out this way?
2: And that's the thing about the UNFCCC is that they do put the responsibility on those industrialized countries because their idea with that is that. Those are the countries that are and have been emitting the most greenhouse
1: gases. It reminds me of, like, have you guys ever been out to a group dinner? And, like, you're poor, so you only order, like, a side salad. Yes. And, like, you got friends that are, and like, ordering like, oh, apps and beers and dinner. Evenly. And then at the <laughs> end, yep, they're like, hey, just to make it easy. Throw in your card. We'll how split about everybody just <laughs> splits, we'll take it even. And I'm like, uh, I had a salad. Been there, done that. So it's kind of nice that, like the IP, you and FCCC FCCC decided that they're going to put more responsibility on the people that consumed more. Yeah, that's just like good principles. And if you've ever, it's nice for the countries that ordered a salad, but
0: it's probably not, but it's fair, desirable for the countries who ordered the steak,
1: right? But I think it's more fair in general yeah Um, Yeah, because like yeah i don't know maybe it's just because i'm from a salad perspective
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get into what we do now which isn't quite the same system as it was good idea in theory but that was kind of just like hey we should do something about this and then there wasn't any sort of actual framework to be accountability. Like, have, yes, account. That's ah, the word I'm it's like for.
1: when someone assigns you Mary Poppins homework, <laughs> but doesn't give you a deadline. But then doesn't give you any accountability. Or I deadline. am the UNFCCC.
2: <laughs> so the UNFCCC is like FCCC. It's like, man, we should do something about this. And then the Kyoto Protocol came around, and this operationalizes the UNFCCC, um, and it actually commits countries to doing just that which they were supposed to do within the UNFCCC. So they
0: become the manager.
2: Yes. Mm. And they were adopted in 1997, didn't actually enter force until 2005. And it was the first international treaty that actually set those legally binding targets for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. It still only binds developed countries. So it still took that annex approach um, because they are the most responsible still for emitting those greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. So within the Kyoto Protocol, it mandated that industrialized countries cut their greenhouse gas emissions by an average of 5% below what levels were in 1990. So we're kind of starting to get some numbers in the mix and say, here's a tangible goal. Right. You know, it's not just like, get better. It's <laughs> like, here's how we get better. Yes. You know, you kind of have to put some numbers on it. Um, And then the Kyoto Protocol also established three market-based mechanisms into force to help countries reach their emission reduction targets. So they introduced emission trading, um, where countries that emit less than a certain level can sell that amount to industrialized nations that are producing more. And they also introduced the clean development mechanism and joint implementation mechanism. And that's where countries can invest in projects that reduce greenhouse gases and then gain carbon credits. So now we're getting into like the carbon markets yeah. and that whole fun thing, which I'm sure we can do an episode on later because that's the cap and trade system and everything. I mean, that's I bet a beast that's pretty in interesting. And yeah. It yeah. is. It is very interesting stuff. But basically, this is just a trading system that was implemented so countries can earn credits toward their emission goals um, by investing in emission reduction projects. Pretty cool stuff, actually.
1: So, was anyone like exempt from the Kyoto Protocol?
2: So this is where things got a little bit tricky. And there's no perfect protocol, no perfect plan. It does seem
0: like in order for it to work, everybody's kind of got to do it. Yes. Right.
2: So 2001 rolled around and the U.S. was like, we're going to drop out. So the U.S. dropped out of the Kyoto Protocol. Before it ever took effect? Before it fully came into force. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And then China and India were exempt from the treaty. Um, Canada then renounced it in 2011. They said that goals were unworkable since the U.S. and China, two of the biggest emitters, um, were involved in it. So those were just some of the holes that started to appear where countries could just back out. And then when some backed out, others looked at it and said, why are we spending money on making this happen when... We're not contributing as much to the problem. and
0: It became the Swiss cheese of protocols.
2: It did. A lot of holes started to come out of there. So that first commitment period of the protocol ended in uh, 2012. A new one began that had emission reduction targets through 2020, but that was actually effectively replaced in 2015 by the next international treaty, which is the Paris Climate Agreement.
1: May we. May we. I definitely think it's interesting, too, because like, When I was reading up on this a bit, it talked about how China was exempt... And they use that time to just like massively industrialize, which is like, no. With America, one of the things that we're going to talk about coming up is the U.S. presidents and their involvement. Well, with the Kyoto Protocol, like right at the inception, we switched to a new elected leader. So that has to do with it, too. So the thing about climate change is it's a global thing. It's an international thing. You can't just,
2: you know, have one factory emitting something and it stays right in that spot that's not how fluid dynamics work, so...
1: We have all these countries with all these different viewpoints and backgrounds and issues, yet we still have the Paris Climate yes. Agreement, which comes to fruition. And how many countries are involved in yeah,
2: it? Yeah, it was adopted by 196 parties wow. at COP21 in Paris in 2015, entered into force in 2016, and it's cool to see that so many countries have signed this and are involved in it. Some may have pulled out and then hopped right back in. America.
1: But- America.
2: <laughs> But we are back in it now. Um, and yeah, originally it was 196 parties. So the Paris Climate Agreement is also under the UNFCCC. And it's another legally binding international treaty to combat climate change. Um, but it gets rid of the annex approach. And that's the biggest difference. So before, like we were saying, the yeah. developed countries had that financial Salad. responsibility. Yep. yep. So this agreement more recognizes that climate change is a fully international problem and it's going to take everyone to fix that. So it called on all countries to set emission targets, um, not just the industrialized countries. We also start to put some more numbers on it at this point. So the goal is to keep the increase in global average temperature to well below two degrees Celsius, which is 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit for those of us in the United States, um, above pre-industrial levels, and then to try to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. Which
0: is 2.7
1: degrees Fahrenheit. I think
2: that's what we said, yeah.
0: Math.
1: Math science. And that doesn't sound like a lot, especially if you come from a climate that Mm -hmm. fluctuates a lot. Like we live in Michigan. And so it's like 2.7. That means nothing, you know, but, uh, one of our favorite analogies, I think is thinking about a fever. And like, if you come down with a fever or your child comes down with a fever, even when they start getting towards 100, like they're experiencing symptoms i like that it it directly goes into the increase of extremes because i feel like when you have a fever you're like chills now fever now like it's like yeah just like super inconsistent and so it's interesting that our earth is almost the same way like with every Single degree that we're blanket warming, we're seeing so much more variability and volatility.
2: So, to meet these goals, parties in the Paris Climate Agreement have to submit NDCs or nationally determined contributions, and that's basically where they communicate what they'll do to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and reach the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, And they also say what actions they'll take to adapt to climate change impacts. So um, this would be another interesting episode in the the future is adaptation versus mitigation. You know, Mm. at what point do you say we mitigate? At what point do you say this is happening? We have to adapt. But they do have to say what they'll do to adapt to climate change impacts just to account for what's already happening
1: like at what point do you move to canada yeah yeah that that is kind of the question like (laughs) canada's like no thanks
2: (laughs) we're good stay there (laughs) please no and the paris climate agreement does keep people accountable each country has to be reviewed every five years to see how they're doing and even though they abandoned the annex approach in this agreement financial assistance is still provided to developing countries um, to help them mitigate and adapt and then strengthen resilience so not just completely left hanging. but Mm -hmm. it doesn't put as much of the burden on um, those countries that emit a lot of greenhouse gases.
1: Again, still just a little bit more fair, just looking at it and making sure, yeah.
2: But overall, Paris Climate Agreement is the beginning of a shift toward net zero emissions, and this is the agreement that we are currently under. So this is our operating standard at the moment. You know, I'm sure 10 years from now, we'll have new agreements to talk about, but this is what we're working with right now. And yeah, like we said before, climate policy isn't, um, you know... The most fun topic, (laughs) although I had a good time researching it. I think it's interesting, but it's good to talk about, good to know what other countries are doing, Um, and we'll be talking about what the United States is doing specifically in an episode coming up.
0: Ellen is going to go all presidential on us. Yep.
1: (laughs) which is also interesting but I I feel like this hopefully is going to be interesting to people that aren't just into science or politics because it really does impact our day-to-day quite a bit that is so interesting and how Eunice definitely has not gotten her due nope go Eunice go Eunice it's a podcast Eunice So how can we make our mother proud this week? Well,
0: um, (laughs) I have this notebook I love because I like to write things down versus typing it out, and it's called Rocket Notebook. But it's like like, a
1: reusable? It's
0: reusable, yes. So you write it. It's not like a dry erase marker, but it's similar. You actually have to spray the page to get it to come off. Well, I go through so many
1: notebooks, too, Mm -hmm. and then I just always feel kind of guilty like tearing the pages out and throwing them away or recycling them.
0: Yes. yes, but she <laughs> she <like> throwing away? <gasps> what's even
1: better than recycling?
0: Just not using, not using the material it at all in Absolutely. the first place. Yeah. yeah. See yeah. you next time on Listen, Listen to, to Your, your mother, mother Earth. <laughs>